0: Life is complicated. There is the law and there is reality. Welcome to Law and Reality,
1: sponsored by Thav Gross. Now, here's your host, Ken Gross. Welcome to this segment of One Reality. Today's topic is buying and selling a business what you need to know and the mistakes you need to avoid making. Jenny Wingle, good morning.
2: Hi, Ken. I'm not going to talk in a low, creepy voice.
1: Brian Small, welcome. Low creepy voice, um, you know.
0: Um, maybe it's just time I should just leave today. I don't know. It's was, was an my, early an early exit to the show. Was my what you need to know a low creepy voice? It was. To. It
2: was you and then Brian and I'm like mm, I'm not I'm not gonna. Imitate you're not that. gonna buy into that. Nope, not today. Hey,
0: it's the Halloween season. It's it's it can be a little goofy on the radio. I mean, Ken does it every day. Six yeah, well. twelve months a
1: year. Halloween has been and gone, though. Come and gone, though. So that's how I it is. I said it's the Halloween season. Yes, but you can. But you, you, we should still have some candy left at this point. All right. So buying <laughs> it depends
0: on whether you're in my house or not. Right,
1: <laughs> buying and selling a business. Okay. One person is the buyer. Another person is the seller. And I want to break down what Ooh, each wow. side needs to be concerned about from a legal standpoint.
2: Are you more concerned with the buyer or the seller, Ken?
1: As the lawyer, I'm more concerned with who I'm representing. If I'm representing the buyer, I am only concerned with the buyer. If I'm representing the seller, I'm only concerned with the who seller. Who do you think That's has more at risk, point. though? It depends. Let's, okay. let's save that question till the end, and let's go through the issues on both sides. But here, i just get one I thing mean, out the of risk, the way. The buyer's risk is he's wasting his money. The seller's risk is he doesn't get paid for what he's what he's created. That's a, bit, that's a big risk for both. Or the buyer puts
2: himself on the hook for a whole lot of debts they didn't anticipate. Right.
0: But let's, let's just get one thing out of the way, starting off at the very beginning. I mean, let's get it out of the way. All right. What is it? You got the buyer and the seller. They came in to see you together. Holding wants to, hands? You wanna, yeah, pretty you, much.
1: Wait, wait. You want to you get one thing straight, I right, right jump off the bat, to, right off the way, which is the very last point. I know, but hour. I
0: think it's the one of the most important points.
1: You can't, as a lawyer, represent both the buyer and seller.
0: And the buyer and the seller should independently have their own attorney in any and sale as, or purchase of go, a business. As
1: we go through the show, we're going to ask that question again at the end, and it should be obvious as to why. Let's start with the buyer. First question the buyer is, want, is thinking about is the price. Is it a fair price for the business? How am I going to pay for the business? Let's assume, hold price aside, how is he going to pay for it? He's got three alternatives. Cash. He can go to the bank and borrow fine finance it. Or he can try and get the seller to finance it that we call seller financing.
0: Well, the the most sensible one, if you're the, buyer Buyer is to not necessarily put all of your eggs in one basket if you can get the seller to finance finance it it, that is from a buyer's perspective probably a really good deal you're not outlaying a lot of cash and or it depends on what the deal is yeah and the seller on the other hand has got some some still got some skin in the game so he really wants you to actually pay him well what does the
1: seller typically want Cash. Cash. Okay, so um, you have a differing view there. Now, let's assume the buyer is going to buy buy the assets. Regardless of how he's paying for them, whether it's cash, seller financing, or bank financing, he has to make sure that he's getting good, clear title to what he's buying. Wait, he has I was to make sure say, there's no liens against those assets right, he's purchasing.
0: This, you, let's break it break it down just a little bit more. There's The components to a business that you're buying include potentially— The name of the business, the phone number of the business. The website. The website of the business. Equipment. The equipment and assets of the business. Customer
1: list. And the goodwill of the business. Those are all assets of the business. And they all could be subject to liens. Suppose the seller has bank financing at Chase Bank and has a credit line outstanding of a half a million dollars Chase Bank will have a lien on all of the seller's assets, and that lien will be registered with the Uniform with the UCC division in the state of Michigan. And there'll be what we call a financing statement showing that lien. There what also the,
0: could be a building that they're buying, right?
1: Real estate will go to next. So what the what the buyer has to do as part of the process is he has to run a UCC search to see if there are any financing statements outstanding against the personal property. If he ran it, he would come across a UCC financing statement filed by Chase, and he would say to the seller, at closing, that needs to be terminated by Chase in order for me to get good title to the personal property assets. If there's real estate involved, you need to do a title search, and you have to get a title commitment and you have to get a warranty deed and you have to make your, make sure you're getting clear title to the real estate. Those are the things the buyer has to worry about or the buyer's attorney absolutely has to worry about in terms of making sure he's getting clear title to the assets he's buying.
0: Okay, important. But it is extremely important because if you don't get clear title, now whoever is owed the money could come back if you're not paying them because the old buyers got your the old Chase seller's bank, got your money the bank comes He's first. Gone. The bank comes
1: first and you're out of out of you, luck. You're stuck suing the seller at the end. The simplest
2: point. way I I I explain that to some of my clients who are new to buying businesses, I say we well, wouldn't buy a home with a mortgage on it without making sure the mortgage got paid. Correct. You know, Same thing. Simple concept.
1: Okay. Now let's go to the next another issue. I'm buying the business. It's a corporation or a limited liability company. Do I want to buy the assets of the business, or do I just want to buy the stock or the member interest from the seller?
0: Well, both are opportunities, aren't they? Yes. You have the option to do either. But there's a big
1: difference. Which one's best for the buyer and which one's (laughs) best for the seller? Okay. For the seller, the seller would be happy to sell you his stock or to sell you his member interest. The reason why is the seller then gets the benefit of capital gain on the sale. Suppose the seller has invested in the company $50,000, mm-hmm. and he's selling the business to you for 500000 okay. There's a $450,000 gain. If the seller is selling his stock or his member interest in the LLC, the $450,000 gain is taxed as capital gain as long as he held the stock for one year right, or Right, which longer, is at a lower rate. Which is at 20%. Whereas if not, he's going to pay a higher tax when it goes through the corporation. But from the buyer's standpoint, when the buyer pays $500,000 for the stock, he can't deduct any of the $500,000 that he paid as a deduction on his tax return. He has to hold it until he sells the stock or sells the company. What the buyer wants to do when he pays is the buyer really wants to buy the assets. You buy the equipment. You buy the intangible assets. Intangible assets you can amortize over 15 years. G- give so, an
0: example of the intangible assets. so that The people-
1: goodwill, the customer list. The covenant not to compete from the seller that says the seller won't open up a business across the street from you and compete with the one he just sold you. Now, can those you- are intangibles. The other assets, like your equipment, you get to depreciate over the life, the useful life of the equipment.
2: Now, can you allocate? Can they, can they kind of negotiate? Does it have to be all or nothing? Yeah.
1: Well, there'll be an allocation as to how you weight the value of the assets between the equipment and the goodwill and the covenant not to compete in a purchase agreement. But there isn't going to be an allocation between stock and an asset purchase. A purchase is either going to be you're going to purchase the assets or it's going to be a stock purchase. 95% of the time, the buyer wants an asset purchase and wants to insist on that. This is a very important issue because the buyer wants to be able to deduct, as the business going goes forward, the depreciation and the amortization on the purchase price of the business, and he can't do that if he's buying stock. So if,
0: if I buy a business, and I buy the assets of the business, and- somebody has, I'm buying it from from you. And, and you're not assuming and, the liabilities. And right, but I'm buying the equipment. So let's say it was a pizza oven. And you've had this pizza oven for 10 years. You bought it and you depreciated it fully. Now you sell it to me for its current fair market value. I get to depreciate it again, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because it's
0: based upon the price that you paid for it and then it's useful life. So, And then the seller is going to pay capital It will end up having to pay income tax on
1: the on, on the gain the, on the gain right so it, w- what it comes down to is it's a negotiated process in terms of how it works. The important thing for the buyer to remember is this if you paid a half a million dollars for the business and you could depreciate if you're allowed to depreciate it let's just to make it in simple terms over ten years and you paid a half a million dollars, you would have a $50,000 deduction on your tax return every year to help offset your tax liability. But if you are paying for the stock of the business, you can't take that deduction. It's a big issue from the standpoint of the buyer cash flow. When the buyer goes and borrows the money from the bank, the half a million dollars, the buyer can deduct the interest he pays, but he can't deduct the principal he's paying back to the bank. But he can deduct and he can depreciate the, as- the, the assets that he acquired. The other thing is this if you buy the stock of a company, you inherit all the assets and all the liabilities, including the undisclosed liabilities. Or the unknown liabilities. Suppose there's product liability. Suppose there's a, a a claim that the seller doesn't even know about that arises after the closing from events that occurred prior to the closing. To give you a, have to liability a, a for
0: all of those. Great things. big example. Look at General Motors who went through a bankruptcy and created a new General Motors. Yet there's product liability in some case in some personal injury cases that was unknown at the time of the bankruptcy that has come back to haunt them
1: uh, subsequently. Absolutely. Or let's say you're selling a professional practice. You're You're an accountant and you're selling your practice or you're a lawyer or you're a doctor. There's malpractice claims. If, you buy, if, the, if the buyer of the practice buys the stock, he now still owns the corporate entity. If a patient then files a lawsuit after the closing against the corporation for negligence on a malpractice claim, the corporation has liability. The buyer individually doesn't have liability, but he just paid a half a million dollars for the practice. He has exposure. So in professional practices, you're always structuring those as an asset purchase from the buyer's perspective. But if you leave it up to the seller, what's he going to say? Oh, I'll just sell you my stock. That's why you can't have the buyer and the seller represented by the same person. All right. Now, and and,
0: and another reason why not only should you have separate attorneys, but you should have an accountant be looking at the, the books and records of the business you are planning on buying, because I assure you of this, and I've seen this many, many times, the seller of the business, tries to make his books look as good as humanly possible without conceivably cooking the books, so to speak. And the buyer should always be skeptical. If it looks too good to be true, by God, it's usually too good to be true.
1: you got to be very careful. I can tell you one that I've run into numerous times over the years. The seller tells the buyer, well, understand something. I don't report all my income on the side. Really, what my books are going to show a lot less money than what I really make. And then the buyer comes into me and says, yeah, but I've got the tax returns, but he doesn't report all of his income. This is a cash gold mine. And then I say to the buyer, well, how do you know? Because if the seller doesn't report his income and he's telling you that he's, that he's not reporting his income, how do you know? And my my favorite's always like, you know, if he's really pulling that type of money
0: out and he's not working the business because he's just sitting back collecting the money, why is he selling you the business in the first place if he could just sit back and continue to
1: collect the money? If it's
0: too good to be true it usually is. You need is. a
1: level of skepticism when you go into the negotiation process and you look at it. That doesn't mean don't buy any business, but it means you have to be careful and, and, and look at it. And there are ways of figuring that out with your accountant. There's ways of tracking the business. If it's a restaurant, you look at the volume, look at the number of uh, coffee cups that are used and things like that in terms of measuring what their real sales are to see if the seller is truly skimming like he's claiming to be. But you have to be very careful about the whole process. Other things you need to check. If you're buying the company, you need to make sure there's a UIA Form 1027 that's completed prior to the closing. And That's because the issue of you, generally speaking, when you buy the business, you inherit the seller's unemployment rate but you want to make sure you're not going to be liable for the seller's unpaid unemployment tax. That's an important one. You need to get a, Jenny, you need to get a state sales yep, tax I clearance. I want to
2: just quickly, most people that I'm finding are not getting a state sales tax clearance. Quick story, a woman bought a very small pizzeria for $50,000. Uh, she doesn't respond to some It notices. always seems to be a pizzeria, it? actually too, was it? a pizzeria, and it was up north somewhere. And all of a sudden, her business is now liable for $150,000, uh, successor liability from the Michigan Department of Treasury. Now, she came back and said, hey, wait a minute. that wasn't me and thought it would be no big deal. However, the state said you didn't apply for state tax clearance. Had you applied, we would have told you that the seller of this business hasn't filed returns for three years and we were in the process of computing them. Now, had she opened her mail, we could have limited that to the 50,000 that went to the seller, but uh, she missed her jurisdictional rights there as well.
1: So you got to be extremely careful from a buyer's perspective on those issues. So that kind of mitigates to what you were saying at the beginning, Jenny. There's a lot more that can go wrong for the buyer. On the seller's side, the seller's concern is whether he's going to ultimately get paid. The buyer can lose his investment and become liable for even more. uh, Then he paid in. (laughs) when things go really the wrong way. Now, how do I know if the price is a good deal? I run into this all the time. You come in and and, and you looked at the business. Do you want to do a full-blown fancy $10,000 $10,000 appraisal on, uh, on the value of the business if it's a relatively small business that you're buying. There you have to make a measured decision as to whether it's worth doing it, but there are a couple rules of thumb that you can use for valuing a business that we typically use. One is called a five-year EBITDA rule, which is EBITDA is, termed, is known as earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And what you do is you take the profit of the company for five years and you multiply that by five as a general value for the business. But then you have to make an adjustment to it because if, the, if it's a small business and the owner is taking out big salary, say the owner is taking out $300,000 a year, that leaves less profit in the company. What you do is you add the $300,000 back, to the profit level, and subtract what you'd have to pay a fair salary to a manager. Let's suppose that was 100000 Then the profit of the business would be 200000 per year times five to a million. So
0: you're looking at the value of the business and the purchase price standpoint. as being potentially five years of the profit, as, but you're- It's about five years capitalized. earnings. But then you're money. taking- as if you're not working in the business, as if somebody, as if you just own it. Correct. And somebody else is running it for you.
1: Yeah, because if you, you don't want to include your labor in that because if you're including your labor in that, then that's the value of your labor, not the value of the business. So, so if the
0: profit of the business was, say, $100,000 a year, and the owner, and we added back, that included what the owner was taking out, and we come up with $100,000, but it would take you... $60,000 to pay a manager so to the operate the really business. So 40. 40. Four times five is two hundred. That's two hundred thousand dollars. Might be a reasonable price, and, for that business. And
1: when you do that analysis, you also add back expenses that the owner's running through the business. Is the country club dues in the business? <laughs> How many cars are in the business? Uh, well, you, you look okay. at what does the company. You want that 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 income that you're going to multiply by five to be the true income, not the reduced income as a result of things that are being run through the company. So
0: well, that the, the, the and seller that's, wants right. that to be the the true number the buyer wants it to be the smallest number he can come up with yeah you want you, you want the
1: you well you want the you, the seller's asking for a price so you have to remember that what the buyer' trying to evaluate is that a fair price or should I come in and counter it lower or, or or is it reasonable so you have to make that assessment and your accountant is the perfect person to help you with that as well now, but when clients come in for me we typically have that discussion now I understand the five-year EBITDA. Concept,
0: but I've also heard that, that you sometimes look at it as
1: at three and a half. It can be as low as three and a half. It can be high as eight or nine. It depends on the industry. Is the industry on an upscale in the, in in the marketplace, or is it level, or is it downscale? Take a pizzeria. Again, pizzeria. the reason why
0: you need to get counseling. You can't shouldn't just go buy a, yeah. a business without. A pizzeria without is
1: considered it. to be a stable um, economy neutral business. When the economy is bad, people eat a lot of pizza. When the economy is good, people eat a lot of pizza. So your concerns as to whether that business should be a higher EBITDA or a lower EBITDA really comes down to is how much market opportunity in the area are there for competitors to come in to take away part of the volume? Is the area pretty well built up and is there not a lot of space available in the area? Then it's even more solid in terms of price. All right, let's talk about some other things you need to look at. If your buyer... You bet. You have to make sure you get a covenant not to compete from the seller's owners to make sure that they're not going to open up and compete against you. Buyers don't. Uh, sellers don't offer it. You have to ask for it when you're the buyer, and the seller will reasonably provide a covenant not to compete because if you don't get it, you can't buy the business. You wanna also watch out for non owner key employees because those are much more difficult to bind to covenants not to compete because they're not an owner of the business, but they could go out and start their own business competing against you. Oh,
0: so one of the things you really gotta be careful of is 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 Jim's manager that's been running the business for Jim for twenty years. He goes out and opens. It, you know, up you're that buying store. Jim's selling the business and the manager goes, Well, heck, I know how to run this business. I'm leaving and I'm this is a great location. I'm going
1: to open up across the street. Right. That well, be I think a, big a covenant problem.
2: not to compete too is going to be more important in certain industries than it is in others.
1: Yeah. And you won't be able to get the covenant from Jim unless you make a deal with Jim to come work for you. Then you have him sign the covenant. Then if he quits, he's still bound by the covenant. You have to be very careful on that issue. It's a very sensitive one. Um could really and curtail
0: rats. the whole purchase of a business.
1: Oh yeah. I mean cuz yeah, Jim will take all the, the Think of all the things, those,
0: yeah, think of all the things that you have to think about and we're just Touching on them here on this show.
1: Well, one of the good things is this. One of the interesting things about buying and selling a business is the same issues are true if it's $100,000 or $5 million. The same protections for a buyer have to be, you have to make sure you have clear title. You have to make sure you have a covenant to compete. You have the same tax issues. You have the same exact issues, regardless of the size of the business. You also want warranties and reps from the seller, that there are no undisclosed liabilities, there's no environmental problems, that the financial statements are true. Why do you get warranties and reps? Because if they prove to be false, you have something to sue on. That's the whole purpose of a warranty and rep. Now, flip side, we got a couple minutes left to talk about the seller. Well, wait, one more more question. If you're the buyer
0: and you're buying a restaurant is it or and you're must worried be about hungry because yeah. we keep talking about it. Is is it a, or any business is it a good idea to to have some sort of a period of time where you come in and monitor the business and watch the day-to-day interactions and what's going on and redo and look at sales on a daily
1: basis? It's a good thing. A lot of times what you do is you can have that as a period between the signing of the purchase agreement and the closing, or you could have a non-disclosure agreement entered into between the buyer and the seller before you've even entered into a purchase agreement where you get access to their books and records and a chance to come and observe the business. A lot of times it's a great idea. It's a good suggestion. All right. Now, Flip over to the seller. We've been talking about the buyer mostly. Now let's talk about the seller. The primary goal for the seller is getting paid. He prefers cash. But if the buyer's making the proposal and he wants seller financing, then the seller is in the decision of saying, well, if I'm getting the price I want, maybe I'll carry the paper and do the financing. But now the seller needs a strategy for how is he going to, Uh, protect himself and what should he ask for from the buyer here's how I approach that if I'm representing the seller the buyers asking me to be his bank the seller to be the bank so what I'm gonna ask from the buyer are the same types of things I ask that a bank asks from you when you go to borrow the money I want an all-asset lien on all the assets that are being sold right off the bat I want personal guarantees from the buyer and from the buyer's spouse. I also want to typically try and ask for a second mortgage on their home. I want to ask for as much collateral as I can get to assure myself that I'm going to get paid. And, 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 and then I want to limit the number of warranties and representations I make to the buyer because I don't want to create things that the buyer can use as an excuse not to pay me. So if you can see from this where it's coming from, the interests of the seller are a hundred percent different than the interests of the buyer. Going back Which to your first question, back to, to the, the very
0: first question of the day,
1: can one lawyer represent both the seller and the buyer? And my answer to that question is absolutely no way. I have seen it done where the lawyer will represent both and both clients will waive the conflict of interest in a letter from the lawyer.
2: Is that if, even a waivable conflict of if interest? If you say
1: to me it's not, I would I will not do that for I will not do that because in that situation the lawyer goes and represents both and then the buyer doesn't pay the seller or the seller made misrepresentations to the buyer and they get into a fight. They now go to separate lawyers. To say, how can I sue the buyer and the seller? And then the separate lawyer looks at it and says, well, who represented you? And then the separate lawyer says, you shouldn't have been represented by the same person. Now everybody's going after that lawyer as well. A lawyer should never put himself in that position. I wouldn't put myself in that position because I can't do a competent job. I can't look out for the seller if I have to be nice to the buyer. I'm not going to be mean to the buyer, but my job when I represent the seller is only to look out for the seller's interest. My job when I look at, when I represent the buyer is only to look out for the buyer's interest. And I'll tell you something. You can't something, blend those two. In meetings with clients,
0: I have spent a lot of time telling people not to make purchases because it's a bad idea. And that's just as much good counsel as helping them get through the purchase yeah, it of can the be business. Saving them,
1: it can be saving them their life savings. We're running late. Let's do announcements. I want to remind our listeners, watch the TV version of Lawn Reality, 11 o'clock a.m. every Sunday on TV20. We have a monthly contest. Go to our website, lawnreality.com, free $50 Visa gift card, a Lawn Reality golf hat, and a copy of my book, Dump Your Debt. We give it away every month. Just go to the homepage, pop in your email address, and you're entered. We have two seminars coming up Wednesday, November 7th, 6 to 7.30 p.m. I'd rather eat turkey than be a debt turkey. We're going to talk about all the methods that we use to preserve future income for your family, solutions outside of bankruptcy. We're going to walk through how we deal with debt resolution. Jenny's going to do a segment on tax problems. Brian and I are also going to talk about how you use Chapter 7 and Chapter 13 to eliminate debt, how to modify mortgages, how to short sell homes. We're going to cover all of those issues Great seminar. Attendees, get a free copy of my book, Dump Your Debt. Sign up at wanreality.com, Thavgos.com, or call 888-235-HELP. Then on Wednesday, December 12th, we have an estate planning seminar called Give a Smart Gift to Your Family and Estate Plan. This is the holiday gift that you should give to the family. It's not the only gift to give to the family. It's a gift for the family as a whole. So the kids don't have to say, "Oh wow, I got an uh, the family got an estate plan for Christmas, and now I don't get I I don't get any Legos." I'm not saying that, but the family should get the estate plan as a gift to all of you. We're gonna go through all the essentials of an estate plan, avoiding probate, the documents you need, healthcare power, durable power of attorney, living trust, pour over will. Can Brian and Jeff Linden are going to participate as long as myself. Jeff's going to talk about avoiding probate and also the probate process. Attendees get a $300 gold certificate off the cost of an estate plan. Sign up, ThavGross.com, LawnReality.com, or call 888-235-HELP. Remember, you can always come into ThavGross for a free consultation. Estate planning and debt issues with Brian, tax issues with Jenny, business issues with myself, elder law issues with Pat Samasco workers' comp, and disability issues with Jeff Kirshner. Just go to the website, request a free consult, and we'll contact you or call 888-235-HELP. Also, check out the website. There are free reports, how to save your home from foreclosure, business formation loans and grants for small businesses, Retiree's Guide to Social Security by Pat Simasco, and the newest report should be up there any moment now. It's by Jenny and myself on Resolving Tax Problems, The Real Solutions. It is by far the greatest report we've ever put together, and it's new and it's hot. Be sure and check it out. I want to thank our sponsors, Thav Gross, Samasco Law, Kirshner Law. we got about one minute left. Let's talk about Jerry and the pizza business. Now, Jerry was last week. Let's talk about buying and selling the business. Here's the point. Each side needs representation. Why? Because the side that has representation is only going to be looking out for their interest. You need to counterbalance that with the side. The other side needs representation to look out for theirs. Nobody gets it all their own way. That's why you have two sides and you negotiate and compromise these points to get to the fair middle.
0: Mutual dissatisfaction, the perfect purchase.
1: Well, that's the truth in any uh, dispute in terms of partner fight and things like that. But I would hope to think that when a buyer and seller are selling a business, mutual satisfaction. it could be mutual satisfaction so that they're closing, they're shaking hands at the closing, and they're both satisfied. Seller's getting his money, buyer's buying a business with hopes and prosperity for the future. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with one Reality. Thanks for tuning in.